Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm Roberta. Keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Rachel. And I'm Roberta. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. A couple of royal reminders before we dive in. First, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group at Royally Obsessed. You can also subscribe to our podcast and leave us a royal rating, pretty please, hopefully five stars, and send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Yay, we have so, so much to talk about on this week's episode of the pod. But first, Bowie, how did you spend your 4th of July? Oh, Roberta, a three-day weekend is everything, isn't it? I just feel like it, you know, even in quarantine, it makes all the difference. I've had like a seven-day weekend. Yeah, you've been been traveling. I feel like you've had like a road trip. Yeah, we had 12 hours uh, down to Savannah, Georgia, and then five hours to Florida. So yeah, it's been... It has been a lot of fun so far. How was the drive? Was it like good car conversation and everything? I feel like that's like... We listened to some podcasts. We we uh, listened to some good music. And, you know, I felt like the first time I flew from Florida back up to New Jersey, um, I was so much more anxious. And in the car, it's like it's your own little space. Like you yes. feel a lot, like especially like nowadays, it's like... You kind of have your own space to spread out. You don't have to like worry about how many bags you have or how much they weigh. It was just it was really nice. So much more leisurely. I know. Yeah, I didn't do much, but I I am attempting to learn how to cook. I actually really don't cook. Oh my God, your recipe. What was <laughs> so, that recipe you made? So I, um, this blog that I love, Cup of Joe, she had a recipe for um, Nora Ephron's tomato sauce from the book Heartburn. And I feel like I realized for me to be inspired to cook, I need some sort of like pop culture reference, <laughs> So, which I loved the book Heartburn. So I that's where I went and it, it was delicious. It was super summery. I had to go to a farmer's market with a mask on to um, to get you know, heirloom tomatoes and let them sit on the counter for a number of days. But it was wow. so good. I it highly recommend. So, so good. Yeah. Uh, so it was a relaxing weekend. Yum. Well, I'm sure Matt enjoyed that so much. Oh, yes. Uh, I think my whole family did. It was great. Well, so let's get into what we're talking about this week. So the Sussexes had a very busy week last week. Um, Harry surprised recipients of the Diana Award at their annual award ceremony and delivered a speech to remember about his mom, but also about the work that needs to be done in support of Black Lives Matter. And that's not all from the Sussexes. Harry and Meghan joined the Queen's Commonwealth Trust for a discussion of the movement. And Harry virtually joined this year's AIDS conference as well. Like we said, a very busy week. We also saw pubs in the UK back open, which means Prince William was first in line to grab a pint. Of course he was. Yeah. Uh, he, he's been looking forward to that for a I while. Mean, we all are, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and then some big crown casting news, that and so much more coming up. Well, but first, our royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. 
So we were hoping to get a we were well my plan was to have a pint, but I couldn't find a cold beer, Roberta. So I went with a 10 a.m. glass of rose. Oh, how <laughs> lovely. But I thought about it, and to be honest, I am that person that orders wine at a pub. Same. Actually, <laughs> same. I'm like, even if it's the house wine, I love well, and it's summertime. So rose, I feel like just always fits the bill. That's perfect. And we were doing so beer in honor of the UK pubs reopening. My dad um bought went out and bought a growler for us of this beer called tan in a can which is a local brewery called deep that does it and it's like a coconut and lime beer and it is so good it's like summer in a can so i'm really oh my gosh to drink so summery beverages and i feel like cheers i mean i'm so impressed that the uk pubs are reopening so we'll get into that um but while we're sipping in lieu of a reader email this week we wanted to shout out to a super fun thread that cropped up in the royally obsessed facebook group over the weekend ready Favorite Meghan Markle movies. I just like, I want to yes. go all in on this thread. I'm sad that I missed it in the moment, guys. But um, Kimberly posted a reminder of the existence of the 4th of July Hallmark film, When Sparks Fly, which came out in 2014. Have you seen that? So I watched the trailer and yes. I was loving it. Captivated, right? I, yeah. And like, I forgot that Megan did more than just suits. Like she has all these movies that she did. So it's it was really funny to watch. We might need to sit side by side on like FaceTime and watch some of them together. <laughs> just I love for fun. It. Like, because there's also Lori chimed in that there's Dater's Handbook, which is another good one. Um, and I'm all in also because I, I have been spending an obscene amount of time watching Suits. So it started at the How beginning. Much time? I mean, I'm watching about three episodes a night because oh, now wow. that I moved in with my parents, I have childcare back. So I'm getting majority of my work done during the day, which means I have somewhat of a night back, but I am staying up to like midnight because I can't stop watching it. And it's free on Amazon Prime. And Megan is so good in it. I was just going to ask, is it like really, I just, it's been on my list for so long and I think I finally need to take the plunge and just watch Suits. So what season are you on right now? I'm almost done with season two, and that took me about a week. I feel like I I watched a few episodes at the beginning of quarantine, like three, and then I think I've watched a season and a half in a week. Oh, my God. You're really flying through. It's a USA show, so I feel like it's like there's a lot of episodes. (laughs) Wow. But I highly recommend it. So I'm all in on Meghan Markle content right now from pre-royalty days. I love it. I do want to watch a Hallmark movie with you, one of her Hallmark movies. It made me laugh. It's so corny. The trailers are so corny. <laughs> if you guys I have know. a second, watch these trailers because they, they, they felt will burn like your day. Sweet Home Alabama-ish. One of them did for me. Like it was like she has to choose between. Oh, know. yeah. Dater's but, Handbook for sure. Yeah. Like, the handbook. guy who's safe or the guy who's cute. That's what, <laughs> that's what her choices are. <laughs> right? Like Reese's Witherspoon, Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Very good thread, guys. Keep it up in in the Royally Obsessed Facebook group. So this week in Royal History. And now, this week in Royal History. TBT to that time that Michael Fagan broke into Buckingham Palace and surprised Queen Elizabeth in her nightgown. Best headline. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god seriously so on july 9th 1982 fagan scaled the 14 foot fence outside the palace which is topped with barbed wire and revolving spikes that's scary um and what became known as the worst royal security breach of all time he entered the queen's bedroom at 7 15 a.m pulled the curtains open for her on her four poster bed revealing later in an interview with the independent that she was quite shocked saying what are you doing here? He, that was I, my like, best I like that Queen accent. Impression. <laughs> um, he also reported that she was wearing a knee length nighty in a Liberty London print. Oh, I love Liberty of London. Also very on brand. I like that. So on brand. And now I want a Liberty of London nighty. <laughs> um, 
Apparently, after Fagin had scaled the walls of the palace, he had wandered around the palace checking out King George V's multi-million dollar stamp collection, as one does when they break in. <laughs> That's the first place I would go. Yeah, really. Um, no, he did get the wine, too. He got oh, Prince yeah. Charles's wine. So, so he saw the stamp collection. He went to the queen's bedside. Alarms were triggered, but the security team thought they were just being faulty. Okay, so someone's got to... That's insane to me. Answer for this, yeah. Um, the queen herself ended up bolting the door after encountering Fagin to summon help. And even crazier, it wasn't the first time he broke in. So like I mentioned, a month earlier, he snuck in through a housemaid's bedroom and roamed the halls, testing out various thrones as though he were Goldilocks and looking everywhere for a bathroom. He said he couldn't find one, so he finally gave up, and this is kind of really disgusting, peed on the corgi's dog food. That just was upset. Yeah, that's upsetting to me. That's so upsetting. Why take it out on the corgis? The queen probably found that out in like a newspaper article and was like, no. Yes. So sad. The scandal led to the Queen's home security, Willie Whitelaw, offering his resignation. But also, Fagan wasn't arrested and, and instead he was charged with theft. He apparently drank a bottle of wine on his first break-in. Those charges were later dropped after he was committed for a psychiatric evaluation um yeah so he he wandered the halls he saw rooms were labeled by name he saw diana's room and charles's room and the bottle of wine that he stole and drank was from prince charles's room so what a wild story i just i think it's also just so fascinating i mean it was 1982 and it wasn't uh i guess buckingham palace had different rules about what was a criminal versus civil civil offense at the time and and so he wasn't arrested. And that just that's mind boggling to me. And also, I think a lot of the interviews he's done, he just says it ha- he got the idea on a whim, like he was walking by, which I guess uh, underscores the whole like psychiatric evaluation part of it. But I feel like I just can't understand, like, how do you not get arrested for a break in, like regardless of where it is? Yeah. I know. I I really don't get it. And I but I also just I find it laughable that I mean, it's very fortunate that nothing worse happened. And I think it proves that it really was just on a whim. He wasn't like it wasn't an ulterior motive or something worse. Right. But I do like the tidbit that he saw that the rooms were labeled. <laughs> I love that. And also that he like took the bottle of wine out of Charles's room. It's like later Charles goes in. He's like, where's that bottle of wine? Yeah. I, I also think it, it said it was like a cheap Californian bottle. It wasn't anything to write home about, which I'm like, he's also Fagan is also like a wine connoisseur. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> breaking into Buckingham Palaces and wine connoisseur. Yeah. That's a, quite the resume. Quite the resume. It's kind of, it's a cool claim to fame, I guess. Yeah. But the revolving yeah. spikes might be the most enlightening part about that. Who knew? Crazy. I also feel like it's like something like this has to happen. And now I'm sure the security is like, there's no way. There's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like now they are, okay. They're like, we know where our flaws lie. Yeah. I mean, they better. <sighs> they better protect yeah. that family. Um, oh, well, now, you know, we have – okay, like we said, we have so much royal news to go into. Um, so this week's royal rundown, we – the Sussexes are back. They're back in a big way. And even though Archwell might be on hold until 2021, that's no matter to them. So um, they – First up, we have Prince Harry's surprise video address for the annual Diana Awards ceremony, which um, was held virtually on what would have been Diana's 59th birthday last week. Um, In it, Harry celebrated this year's award recipients, 180 young people from 35 countries around the world, and spoke about his mother and how she would have been right there beside them, supporting them and lifting them up. We're going to play a short clip from his speech. I know that my mother has been an inspiration to many of you, and I can assure you she would have been fighting your corner. Like many of you, she never took the easy route, or the popular one, or the comfortable one. But she stood for something, and she stood up for people who needed it. 
Right now, we are seeing situations around the world where division, isolation, and anger are dominating as pain and trauma come to the surface. But I see the greatest hope in people like you. I love that he made such a... I think that the poignancy of him talking on his mom's birthday, I feel like just hearing from Harry on that day was really meaningful. But um, Prince Harry also spoke about Black Lives Matter. He referenced Megan when he said, my wife said recently that our generation and the ones before us haven't done enough to right the wrongs of the past. I too am sorry. Sorry that we haven't got the world to a place you deserve it to be. From there, he shared the mic with James Freider, an award recipient who is currently studying to be a doctor, but endured school days that were marred by bias based on the color of his skin. I just really, I, I like that clip especially too, because he says like she never took the popular or the easy choice. And to me, that like just really echoes the sentiments that Megan and Harry have faced as they exited the royal family. Like this choice is obviously, you know, so many people are so sad to see them go and exit the firm, if you will. And so I think that that's um, kind of echoing, you know, his his mom did the same thing in a way. Like she, she took the road less traveled and the tougher choice. And, um, and so he's saying, you know, like, it's it's not that they wanted this. I feel like they really felt pushed to to the choices they made. And so I like that he referenced that a lot. Yeah. And I also liked that, I mean, this wasn't a traditional Zoom call. I mean, this was a virtual presentation. And I feel like it just felt longer. It felt more impactful. And it was kind of like, don't worry, we're still here and we've got a lot to say and a lot to do. I just feel like hearing from Harry in that capacity, you know, we heard from him a lot in the last week and Megan. And I think that it, it's exciting to me to think about what's ahead, not just about Archwell, but just they're not going away. And that's really, really encouraging and exciting. Totally, totally. And also that he referenced William. He said, my brother and I in one of the senses. Um, so hopefully, like, things are getting better. Yeah. I mean, I think that to me was also encouraging because I, I like the idea. I mean, they're definitely, it means they're in touch. I mean, I think that I am taking a, taking the belief that they are mending whatever went on. Yeah, definitely. And and through their, you know, numerous Zoom calls and and collaboration on the Diana Award and, um, and other kind of charitable endeavors. And that's not all. Also this week, Harry and Meghan joined together with young leaders from the Queen's Commonwealth Trust via Zoom to discuss equality and social justice. This might be like my favorite thing that they've done so far in yeah. quarantine. Like, I agree. It was so impactful. And it is 20 minutes and Bowie's like, watch the whole thing. Like it's worth it. And yeah. I watched every second and I was like, it it really is. So if you get a chance, please watch all of it because it really, I think it's, it speaks volumes about who they are as people and how much they want to help. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, it's funny because we've seen so many short snippets with them, but I think that it's maybe on par with Zoom fatigue. It's like seeing these longer, like this was a moderated conversation. Um, the focus of the call was the Black Lives Matter movement, but also systemic racism and the global reckoning that has reached a fever pitch since the death of George Floyd in May. Well, let's play We'll play a quick clip from that call before we dive into everything. The, the huge majority around the world, especially the younger generation, are speaking out. And for the first time, they're really starting to be to be heard. You are the next the next generation of leadership, which this world so desperately needs as, as it goes through this healing process. Well, and that, that I think is so true because there's nothing that's stopping you now. That nothing. Knowing that you have the attention of the world to say, the world is seeking solutions. The world is craving a healing through everything that's happened over these several months. And we really look back at history for obviously much longer than that. And I think Alicia, to your point earlier, saying talking about discomfort and why it's an important recognition is that 
it's like growing pains. Mm-hmm. Growing pains are painful. This process is painful and it has been for a long time, but through that immense pain, what we can have tremendous faith in is knowing that there will be growth. I love their, they're just kind of tag teaming this conversation, their dichotomy together. I think that maybe that's what resonates so much for me is we don't get that many moments where we see them together, but also this in depth of a conversation, seeing them yeah. go back and forth. They yeah. they have such a sweet rapport with each other. They have a really great dynamic. They don't speak over each other very much. They're just like, I feel like they're so in sync. Like at one point they like say the exact same thing at the exact same <laughs> time. And it's almost like kind of crazy. Like they are such a power couple to me um I don't know and I just feel like Megan is so eloquent we talked about this like previously and after seeing this for the first time like she's so well spoken and um and the way that she kind of you know she isn't the actual moderator of this it was a um Chris Ann Jarrett who is a Queen's Commonwealth Trust trustee was moderating but Megan really has a way of just um you know, getting her point across and then asking others, like, what do you think about that? You know, kind of moving the conversation along. Um, and we also wanted to mention that she's wearing just a plain white button down and it looks like a gold necklace, um, but very nondescript. So keeping focus on her words and not and everyone else's conversation and not the fashion of it. But I think Elizabeth Holmes said this, uh, well, said it better than I can say it right now, but she basically said, like, the point of what they're doing is not the fashion but then that in itself means the fashion makes kind of this statement like if you're if you're wearing something that take that really tries to put the focus on you know the charitable causes that they are pioneering then it it actually makes it so that the fashion does you know help your cause and so in that way it is kind of a statement so I really loved that yeah I also felt like this was a moment for me where I feel like it's proof that Megan is going to return to her activism roots I mean I feel like before she became royalty she was incredibly you know a huge activist speaking out yeah. you know we love I love the YouTube UN clip. advocate UN and I love the YouTube clip when she was a little girl you know yes. writing those letters you know an important cause that she felt passionate about. And I think that I also like seeing their banter because it's clear that they've had a lot of conversations about this behind the scenes. They have really um, talked this through and and synced up with each other. Um, yeah, I'm excited for all that's all that's to come. Yeah. So like you mentioned, the activism stuff. So Megan's going to be a keynote speaker at next week's Girls Up Global Leadership Summit sponsored by Procter & Gamble, which like you just mentioned, it's the same company behind that sexist dishwashing detergent commercial that Megan wrote a letter about when she was 11 years old. And then they changed the commercial because of her letter. Um, and she also wrote to a few other prominent um, political activists um, f- and female leaders. So the conference is a UN foundation initiative. And so everyone's really excited because she's getting back to her um, role as a UN women's advocate. And she was also the global ambassador for World Vision Canada. And I'm super excited because she'll also be headlining with Michelle Obama and Priyanka Chopra. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. And I I think it is a reminder that, you know, it's not that she had to, she wasn't able to champion different causes in her royal role, but I think she won't have to color inside the same lines. You know, she she no longer has any restrictions or protocol in the same way. So next week is going to be kind of a big deal. I'm excited. Yes, I'm so excited. So it's free to sign up. It's a virtual conference. So it's July 13th to 15th. I think someone wrote that the speeches will be at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. So no one's sure what day exactly she's speaking, but um, Michelle Obama, Priyanka Chopra Jonas. It's going to be amazing. And it's the first time we'll really see her doing 
I feel like exactly what you said, returning to her roots of activism mm-hmm. and um, women's advocacy. So really exciting. And it is really one one last point, too. It is interesting because this is something, you know, it is connected to the UN, but then, you know, the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, it's like Prince Harry is president of that and Meghan is vice president. And they're, it's, it's also a, remind, a reminder that they're not relinquishing a lot of their royal roles. So, um, you know, they're very much still still a part of those causes that are meaningful. So, whoa, Sussexes. We are excited. (laughs) Keep it coming. We love love seeing and hearing from you. Yes. And then we have to talk about, last but not least, Harry, who co-founded the Centiball Charity to support mental health and well-being of children affected by HIV in Lesotho and Botswana, recorded a message for this year's virtual opening ceremony for the AIDS conference this week. So much stuff. So much stuff. Yeah, I so can't, much. can't believe it. Um, more Sussex news. So, you know, legal documents last week came out. Um, they came out on Wednesday. We recorded the pod on Tuesday. So we were both like, <laughs> ugh. <laughs> Another furious text dream. We're like, yeah. So let's, let's go over that because there yeah. are like so many nuances to this legal case. So a reminder, back in October, the Sussexes filed a privacy claim against Associated Newspapers for a letter that the Mail on Sunday published written by Megan to her father. Um, new court documents from E! News surfaced on Wednesday, which we were like, hey, we just got to go with it next week. Um, but I'm glad we waited because it kind of gives more details around Megan's side of the yeah. case. And we really got time to dig into what's going on. So the court documents say Megan Markle had become the subject of a large number of false and damaging articles by the UK tabloid media, specifically by the Mail on Sunday, which caused tremendous emotional distress and damage to her mental health. As her friends had never seen her in the state before, they were rightly concerned for her welfare, specifically as she was pregnant, unprotected by the institution, and prohibited from defending herself that line yeah yeah it looks not good for the royal family to say the least yeah they go on to say that markle's or sorry markle's team also claims in the documents that taxpayer funded security costs for her and harry's royal wedding were far outweighed by the tourism revenue of over a billion pounds that was generated from their wedding um and then another revelation from these court documents are that Markle disagreed with Kensington Palace's no-comment policy to media inquiries. Um, It was also revealed that the Duchess took care to consider and to organize everything her father may need, from all clothing items for each scheduled event to accommodations, transports, and a dedicated assistant on the ground to be with him during his time in the UK for the wedding. So I think that um, it it goes into a lot of detail, but some things that we wanted to kind of point out. um, One of the biggest things is that Megan is firm and clear that she had no idea about the People Magazine article. So that's kind of a big point of this case is because the Mail on Sunday is claiming that because her friends, you know, revealed this letter, two of the friends in in the People Magazine article revealed this letter, um, that she you know, kind of gave up her right to privacy about the letter. And that's why they are allowed to publish it. Mm -hmm. Um, She's saying that she had no idea they would talk about the letter. Um, They did it out of, you know, because they were concerned for her Mm well-being and because they were worried about her. And that's their that's their whole defense, too, I think, for the Daily Mail. So her saying that really firmly supports. I mean, she's saying it under oath. So it's like a really big claim and uh, a big deal. Yeah, I think that that I mean, there's so much to unpack. I feel like even just going back to the prohibited from defending herself, that I think has been had the most carried the most weight for me because no comment is such a frustrating if if people are saying what they're saying about you and they said horrible things about her, 
to not saying no comment almost feels like a validation of it. It's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't do it justice in say, in, in the same way as refuting it. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about the Tatler article and how Kensington Palace came right out to, um, saying that it wasn't true. Maybe that was a lesson learned from this experience. But, right. you know, Kate was given the opportunity to say, no, no, no. To refute it. Yeah, yeah. Versus just saying no comment or saying nothing. And I think it's quite a difference compared to what Megan was allowed to do while she was pregnant. And, you know, I think that the mental health implications of what was going on, I mean, it all yeah. segues into her friends talking about it. And I think it's also, it was most jarring for me to find out that Kensington Palace never asked their permission to say no comment. Like at one point it mentions that like they were saying no comment without even consulting her. Um, it says that, you know, had the claimant been asked or been given the opportunity to participate, she would have asked Kensington Palace communications team to say on the record she had not been involved with the People magazine ar- article as she had not been. But because they never gave them the opportunity, they kind of were saying no comment wherever they wanted and telling her her friends and close family members to say no comment as well if they were approached by media outlets. It just takes away like their their right to refute these things and so i think that's where they have a lot of problems with the communications team at kensington palace is that they felt powerless against the attacks they were suffering and so um you know i always i always think back to that and i mentioned this last week but the itv documentary interview with tom bradby um how frustrated and upset they both sound especially megan like you know basically moved to tears by what's going on and and how she feels like she can't do anything about it. I I really can't imagine. Like that part is so upsetting is like if you, you know, if someone is constantly saying things that aren't true and really hurtful things and you're juggling having to have this public persona but then private and you just can't speak up. I mean, I think also we've talked about that it is really interesting that her friends may be called to testify, correct? Is that true in this case? Yeah. So they so they're actually named um in the confidential section of these legal documents, but since um it's confidential, obviously they're they're called A, B, C, D, and E in the um the public part of these documents. So but I think there's a lot of speculation that they will be called to testify. And so the world will find out who they are. And and it is mentioned kind of a little descriptor like you know, some of these friends were people who visited her in the UK. And so I thought, okay, who's visit, who visited her in that time? It was like, I think it was Serena Williams. I think it was Daniel Martin, her makeup artist. Um, but not for sure. Who knows if those were the people that, you know, ca- came together to do this People magazine article. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if they get called to the witness. Yeah, stand. I know. I think I read that one of them knew her for over 20 years. So again, if you see your friend going through something as horrible as this and you have a 20-year history where you know what she is like typically I just feel like I could see feeling compelled if you know how the system works with talking to press you know it seems like a lot of them were celebrities in their own right that uh, it, it makes a lot of sense that they spoke out without her approval so totally. especially when she's pregnant I feel like they were like you know she, we don't want her to s- suffer god forbid any kind of complications with this like we feel she feels like she's powerless against the press so let's come together and as her friends you know we'll do this really nice thing we'll kind of help her refute a lot of what's being said that's false um and it just kind of backfired a little bit but 
you know, I think that they did have the best intentions at heart. Um, Megan did say in the legal or her team, sorry, legal team in the court documents said that two of the friends did know about this private letter. Um, and so they did mention it. And that is kind of but that doesn't give the mail on Sunday the right to publish a private letter or to take it out of context. Yeah, I think that was the big thing, too. They they altered it. So exactly snippets to benefit their headline. Uh, well, we'll have to see. Yeah, I think I think the case they said will go to trial either late this year or early next year. So we'll keep you guys posted with new developments. But and I'm sure yes. that Megan and Harry also just want to get to the end of this and put it behind them. It's got to be awful to keep reliving all of it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think too, like Kensington Palace aides supposedly came out with this, you know, um, their own side of the story, which is that they said it's quote total rubbish that Megan got no help. So I think we are just going to see a lot of back and forth. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of interesting refuting yeah. going on. Like Dickie Arbiter had a had a quote that was a tweet comparing, you know, that there were three. You know, it happened to Diana, it happened to Fergie, it happened to. Oh yeah, wait, I have it right here. He said, yeah. "Strange how history repeats itself." The Duchess of Sussex complains of lack of help from the royal household. Both the late Di- Diana, Princess of Wales, and Fergie complained of the same thing too. Diana to friends which was leaked and fergie on tv to oprah rubbish then and rubbish now it's like what yeah. i feel like that <laughs> my hands are in the air proves <laughs> your point that like it did happen it's the weirdest you know dickie arbiter was the former head of communications for the palace is that he was a press spokesman for queen elizabeth from 1988 to 2000 so i feel like it's just he has like a lot of clout in what he's saying and i feel like him giving all those examples and then saying it's rubbish it's like actually you just kind of proved the point that it's not rubbish by showing that history has repeated itself and it's happened to three women (laughs) in the royally obsessed facebook group there's a a thread about it and yeah someone commented on that tweet and said you would think that if all three women had a similar story it would mean they were telling the truth he just made himself look bad it's like it's so true like wouldn't you think that uh, i just for a head of for someone that handles communications, it's not my favorite tweet. But, yeah, um, it's like clearly this is what they Megan and Harry have been dealing with, or probably have been dealing with, or something like it. Um, but yeah, yeah, we should move on. Yeah, more more to come on yeah. that on that topic. But okay, some Cambridge stuff. Now we've talked a lot about the Sussexes, but first up, Canada Day. Kate and William zoomed with staff at Fraser Health Surrey Memorial Hospital in British Columbia in honor of the occasion. We're gonna play a clip from that moment. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. 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 Can you see us? No, we cannot. Oh, Oh, Um, But guys, just a couple, I just wanted to just touch base and say um, how proud we are of all of you, everyone on the front line who have led the way very stoically, very bravely, and um, have put patient care, you know, right at the top of the list uh, and have done a fantastic job. So well done to all of you. And I hope Catherine and I can come and visit you guys one day um, and uh, say that to you in person. First, I love the technical difficulties, Roberta. Call difficulties. <laughs> Are you there? We've all been Can there. Can you see me? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, also, did you notice that someone's phone went off while they were talking to the healthcare workers? Someone, no. Yeah, there it? was like someone got a message. Although healthcare workers, of all people, should never be required to turn their phones off. So. I'll, I'll let it pass. Um, yeah, we'll let it slide. As a reminder, back in 2011, Canada Day was when Kate and William made it, actually flew to Canada, and we saw George and Av Bubbles and Balloon Animals, and it was their first overseas tour as a married couple. So it's interesting, you know, they're still honoring the, case, the occasion and doing this, you know, rem- virtual call with staff to hear about their experiences. And it, it was actually quite emotional. I mean, watching it through, it's another one. It's, you know, it's a longer clip and conversation, but I highly recommend listening through because it's actually, for me, less about Kate and William, but I really enjoyed hearing the experiences of the medical and healthcare staffers. 
during COVID. Definitely. And was this the one where Kate wore the red dress? Yes. Where she wore the red and white. Yep. Oh, no, no. This is the one where she wore the boucle dress that is red and white. It was, I think they, it's believed to be Alexander McQueen, but it's Canadian flex, not the, not the collar, which was another appearance. Okay. Got it. Yeah. But it's interesting that the, you know, like you said, they, they flew to Canada and had, um, their family was there and all of that in years past. And while they can't do that, they they still are kind of um, honoring the occasion. So I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I highly rec- recommend listening. And other, you know, Cambridge news, the pubs are open <laughs> in the UK. Woo-hoo, cheers. That's huge. That's cheers huge. to that. Yeah, cheers. Raise a glass. My, my yeah. wine. My <laughs> rosé. I'm morning rosé. I'm enjoying it. Um, <laughs> um, but William actually dropped by the 600-year-old Rosen Crown in Snedisham. Is that correct? Snedisham. Snedisham. Maybe. Uh, It's a short drive from Anmer Anmer Hall, and he had a pint of cider and a plate of chips in honor of the occasion. I'm going to say it. He wasn't wearing a mask. Uh Uh-oh. And he was inside. He was inside. He used hand sanitizer before ordering, ordering, and he also joked about how he would pay, which also kind of led me to be like, how do you pay at a pub if if lots of credit cards are changing hands? I mean, obviously, William is not going to pay for a beer or a cider. Um, You don't think so? You don't think he, like... I guess it'd be like a security thing to not like be like, here's my credit card number. Or even just they're probably like, it's on the house because you're the future king. (laughs) (laughs) True. But I'm like, these businesses need their financial support. Hopefully he paid. Yeah. Uh, But he did chat with the owners in the outdoor garden about how the businesses fared while being closed for three months. Um, And this was fun. He reported that the Rosen Crown was actually is actually a favorite of George and Charlotte's because apparently there's an outdoor play area. And I liked this parenting aside because it's all roped off. He was like, oh, that would just be a challenge for his kids because yeah. <laughs> they'd be like, we can get back. to it. It would just be a challenge. Yeah. But the no masks just bothers me. And it did lead me to look up the UK restrictions so that I had a frame of reference since we do keep talking about it. Yeah, but so, so what are they? So social distancing guidelines in the UK recommend standing two meters apart, which does, you know, it is six feet But per the NHS, face coverings are only mandatory on public transport and when you go to a hospital. So it says if you can if you can wear a face covering in other places when it's hard to stay away from people, such as in shops. I'm surprised by that. I felt like their mask rule would have been stricter. Yeah. Um, And who knows? Maybe, you know, over time you know, the situation evolves, whatever, and they do require it in public places. Um, But yeah, do you think it lets him off the hook? So I still don't because I feel like a, you know, we'll get into it with their next appearance, but I just don't feel like they're truly away from people by six feet. I feel like they're sitting at a table. They are outside, but I also feel that, you know, William's indoors ordering a cider and, and he's near the bartender. And I, I think especially to me, what bo- is bothersome is that he is the future king of England. It seems like a security risk or something or, right. you know, it's you don't want him to get ill. So, right. It's like more than just like I feel like it's more than just personal sickness risk. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, he is the heir to the throne. Like, yeah. Wear the damn mask. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) Right. Totally. So finally, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge visited Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kingsland to celebrate the NHS and thank healthcare workers. They had high tea with various staffers and honored the hospital ahead of the 40th anniversary on July 22nd. Uh, So they this was a actual, you know, in-person event with both of them. The photos are a total delight. It's great. I love that they coordinated their outfits. 
Oh, yeah. Wait, I don't. I think I read a headline. Tell me about that. What? Yeah, so they both wore blue because the NHS color is blue, and and they really like went all in. Like Kate is wearing this like blue Beulah London dress. I hope I'm saying that right, Beulah. Um, and then William is wearing a blue tie, blue shirt. Like they really like. Were, they like, looked fantastic. I feel like they're tans. Yeah, you know they weren't wearing masks, but I'm I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop saying that. But but they uh they looked amazing, and I personally loved her high ponytail. Yes, I loved it too. She's trying out so many new hairstyles. The straight hair, the like stick straight hair that we saw last week. Now the high pony. Um, and also the collar, like the collar dress yeah. that seems to be kind of a staple for her now. Um, and it's like proper without feeling stuffy, like the way that she pulls it off. So I do really love, she love seems what she's so doing. relaxed. And I will say, you know, for this event, they were outside the whole time. So it, you know, even the photos look like they're indoors. I had to look at them kind of closely, but cause there's a brick wall with art on it, a rainbow art. And they had that beautiful rainbow balloon, um, mm. kind of arc, uh, but they were outside. So, I'll and they were keeping that. their distance and yeah. six feet from everyone. Yeah. yeah. So that's so. good. Yeah. So before we adjourn the Royal Pod, we'll get into our highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. So my low this week, womp womp. Big one. Prince Andrew still hasn't cooperated with the U.S. investigations of Epstein. This is like major low. Yeah. Um, he canceled his annual golf trip to Spain because he's nervous, quote, quote, nervous about leaving the UK during an investigation by US authorities into his ties with Jeffrey Epstein, according to a new report from The Sun. So last Thursday, Ghislaine Maxwell, Epstein's ex-girlfriend, was arrested in New Hampshire, which I'm sure we've all heard. In his disastrous BBC interview last November, Prince Andrew said Maxwell was the key element in his friendship with Epstein. I didn't realize he said that in the interview. I forgot that part. That's Yeah. Ugh. And according to The Sun, Maxwell's arrest has Prince Andrew feeling really uneasy and that he may never travel to the US again unless he's forced to unless he's like subpoenaed but it's been this huge back and forth because like they say he, he's not cooperating his team says he has offered to cooperate it's just it's all it's all muddied but I so I read the story in the New York Times Andrew's lawyers requested the help of a DC based lobbyist for unspecified assistance recently the lobbyist Robert Strike I'm saying that right whose company Sonarin Policy Group reportedly advertised itself as a global global private diplomacy firm did not end up taking Andrew on as a client and expressed discomfort with the possibility according to the New York Times and he's had some pretty major clients right that have had yeah. sorted past yeah Yikes. So if they were like, no, we're not going to do this, like we can't risk it. It's like, what is going on? I just wish that Prince Andrew would cooperate and, you know, we could hear his full story and kind of, I don't know. It's just so murky and so gross. It's yeah. a whole situation. The whole situation, which is still unfolding. My low is more of a, it's it's more of a hmm low. <laughs> um, That's a good way to describe it. Hmm, it's not a high, a low high, which everyone yeah. is not allowed. Um, it's So a report by The Telegraph discusses Prince Charles' duchy account and the fact that annually nearly one million pounds of it comes from Cornwall residents that die without wills. If I lived in Cornwall, I'd be like, make sure there are copies of my will, because if not, it's a pretty archaic rule. In fact, it dates back centuries and was implemented by King William IV 
all unclaimed assets upon death automatically become property of the Duke of Cornwall. So it's a few hundred years old, and Charles actually typically sets some of this money aside for any previously identified unidentified relatives that may come forward to claim their inheritance. But most of the money gets invested and spent on charitable causes and Cornwall institutions. So that's wild. He's kind of like, this is a little odd. I get it, but so I'll set some aside. Um, I like that it goes to well-meaning endeavors, it seems, but it's so mysterious to me. Uh, And I also wanted to, you know, as part of this, highly recommend the recent New York Times piece. I think it came out in January, When the Prince of Wales is Your Landlord, because it kind of unpacks a little bit about the Duchy of Cornwall's real estate ties and Charles' ambitious housing plans. So I don't know. I went on a really big deep dive into the financial workings of the duchy. <laughs> so I had no idea. This, yeah. I, I, and I wonder how often this happens. Like how often do people die without a will there and then the money gets transferred and how often do the relatives come forward later? Well, I mean, to the tune of a, about a million pounds a year, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Wow. So wild. Fascinating. Um, my high this week is that the crown has found its final Princess Margaret. I'm so, so excited to hear casting news from the crown. It just makes my week. So Leslie Manville will play Queen Elizabeth's only sister in the Netflix show's fifth and final season. So a reminder, not the next season that's coming out soon, hopefully season four. Um, but the news was announced last week. The actress had to keep quiet about it from her closest family and friends for almost a year. I feel like what a secret to sit on. Wow, I can't imagine like, yeah. just... M- not being able to tell anyone and of course you can't because who knows like who will talk to whom and yeah so but that that would have been that would have been tough to keep quiet but she will so leslie manville will star opposite imelda staunton which i always think of dolores umbridge um and imelda staunton will top line season five as her majesty uh the pair are old friends though and have worked together a number of times most recently playing pixies in disney's Maleficent. Am I saying that right? Maleficent. Maleficent. (laughs) I've never said it right ever. Sleeping Beauty. My, one of my all-time favorite Disney movies. This is really <laughs> eye-opening for me. Maleficent franchise. Clearly, I am not up on my Maleficent um, movies. but So she is following up stellar performances from Vanessa Kirby and Helena Bottom Carter. But I love this quote from Manville. She said, I don't find it daunting. I find it thrilling. I think, come on, Manville. You've got to take that baton and not let those two actresses think, oh, we were great. What a shame about Ma- Manville. Let's hope it doesn't come to that, she laughed. I love that quote. She's like so So, worried about them thinking they did better than her. So she's like, I got to step up my game. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. That is such a good high. Um, My high of the week is Camilla's interview on the Emma Barnett show on the BBC Radio 5 Live. It's a total delight. It's 30 minutes and it's glorious. We're going to play a clip. I've got to ask this because you you obviously been knocking down with your husband. Mm. Did you get him to have a plie or two? Did you get I him to try? I did not get him doing a plie, but he is a very very fit man. So he's not doing ballet with you. He is not doing ballet. Okay. That, I think that, what, that his... would be a good idea. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think we're going to do a pas de deux yet. <laughs> I think. Maybe... What's his regime? Is he? He is the probably the fittest man of his age. I know. He's right. he, he'll walk and walk and walk. He's like uh-huh. a mountain goat. He leaves everybody miles behind. And he. So you're the silver swan, and he's the mountain goat. I'm the ancient silver swan. He's he's the mountain goat. He's <laughs> very very fit. So I don't quite 
walk where he walks. I will never not think of Charles as a mountain goat from now on. <laughs> like, what an interesting spirit animal to assign Prince Charles a yeah. mountain goat. But we have heard him, like, he walks all over. He has all of his walking sticks. Another gem from the interview is she talk- Camilla talks about how pre-quarantine, the internet is just wretched. And I, I Oh, she hates the internet. Hates she talks the internet. hating the internet. <laughs> and it's so funny to me because it's like, like, I don't know. I just can't imagine them now not being – they're, like, really well-adjusted to quarantine and using Zoom yeah. and all of that, it seems like. So it's it's really funny to know that she was, like, totally against it. Yeah, but it's a it's a worthwhile listen. It was a total high. She's, she's, a, she's a hoot. Uh, yeah, anyways. So just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Here's a real review from Megan and Me, which I wonder if this is the Megan and Me from last week that we talked about. It, yeah. might, it might just be. Um, she said, I was so disappointed when Lisa and Caitlin announced they were leaving as hosts, but I think Roberta and Rachel are doing an amazing job. I look forward to this podcast every Thursday. This is my first podcast review, but I wanted Rachel and Roberta to know what a great job they were doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really That's so nice. Thank you for it. writing in or leaving a yes. review. So reminder to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. They just posted a video, I think it was either yesterday, a couple days ago, of Megan eating raspberries off her fingers. And I loved it so much. Loved it. I watched it so many times. It's really satisfying. (laughs) Hashtag content on there. And then the Facebook group, um, Royally Obsessed, which a lot of good things happening there. Um, You can also drop us a line at info at gallerypodcast.com. You can follow us personally on Instagram. I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. And till next week, God God save save the the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.